This morning, if you would open up to John chapter 8, John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. This morning, we're going to be talking about the truth, how to know it, and how that should affect, how that should change our lives. And so we're going to start in verse 31 of John chapter 8. We'll go ahead and read down through verse 36, and then we'll pray one more time, and then we'll get right into it. In verse 31, it says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Heavenly Father, once again we come before you and we ask for your blessing upon this time. We ask that you would anoint and fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would grant to us your understanding and discernment, that we would be able to rightly divide your word, that we would hear you clearly speak through your word this morning. I pray that you would give me your words to speak and not my own, and that you would guard our hearts and our minds through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask and pray all of these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So the truth shall make you free. That's one of those things that gets tossed around. It's a Christianese phrase that we hear so often, but not just inside the church, but even outside the church as well. And it's a pretty common sentiment. You hear parents encouraging their children not to lie and explaining that the truth shall set you free. Spouses being exhorted to be honest with each other. Teachers explaining the importance of fessing up to their misdeeds. Or even defense attorneys proclaiming that the truth is what is going to set their clients free. And yet, as we look at this passage this morning, I would suggest to you that none of these things are truly the application of what Jesus was speaking about. He says, you shall know the truth after telling them, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then he goes on to describe that we are all in bondage to sin when we allow that to take place. And so the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we're going to see, the truth is what will make us free from this bondage. So first, we need to have an abiding relationship with Jesus. We need to follow his words. We've talked about this many, many times here. Secondly, we need to deeply and intimately know Jesus and know the truth of the word of God. It's another thing that we proudly proclaim. We desire to know the truth of the word of God. And lastly, of course, we need to know what that effect will have. What will the truth set us free from? And so in order to be able to do these things, in order to be able to fully understand this, context then becomes super important. And context is important anytime that we are examining the Word of God, especially when we pull out passages, just small snippets. Because if we don't look at things in the grander context, in the whole of what was being talked about, many times it can be twisted, it can be manipulated to say something that really is not there. And so context helps us get a clearer understanding of what the Bible passages, the references are talking about. And so this morning, by looking at the larger context of this passage, but also by referencing other passages of Scripture, we're going to be looking at two primary things. And the first one is to know truth. So what is truth and how can we know it? The second one is what effect should truth have on our lives? What should the outward work, what should be on display, what should change in our lives because of the truth? And so in that first question, what is truth and how do we learn it, when we see there in verses 32 and 33 of John chapter 8, he's speaking to the Jews who believed on his word. These are the Jews who already had come to a place of believing the things that he spoke. And so he tells them, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And instead of holding on to the beauty of that promise, they became righteous, self-righteous and indignant. It says, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? So they totally missed the, the really, really important part of this is that you shall know the truth. 
I mean, especially nowadays, maybe it didn't mean as much to them, but nowadays you have so many people, both inside and outside of churches, that talk about truth being relative. In other words, the truth is whatever you believe strongly enough, that means it's true. And yet Jesus is talking about knowing the real truth, not fake news, not fake truth, but knowing the real truth. And he says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But instead of latching onto that, they get upset about being in bondage because they didn't even recognize. They didn't understand that they were in bondage. And so they skipped over. They missed, at least in that moment, the opportunity to get closer to Jesus and to know more about the truth. So again, what is truth? I would suggest to you that, that quite simply, God's word is truth. And we, there are many, many places in the Bible that we could go to, but we're just going to go to one in the Old Testament and a few in the New. In the Old Testament, in Psalm 119, verse 160, it says, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. The entirety of your word is truth. Everything that you have ever spoken is true. Every promise is faithful and true. That you are unchanging, you are unfailing, you are the one true living God. We describe it that way because the Bible describes it in that way. The one true living God. As we're going to see later on, there are so many different passages that talk about whatever things are true. About standing upon the truth, about looking to the truth, about being committed to the truth. About being helped by the spirit of truth. All of this comes back to what is truth. And I would suggest to you that God's word is truth. Every word of God is truth. And that is truly something for us to be challenged to stand upon. In John chapter 17, verse 17. Something that we've studied very, very recently. Jesus is speaking to the Father and he says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Very, very simply, to sanctify them by your truth, and your word is truth. And he's speaking to the Father. And what better authority to speak on truth than Jesus himself? And what better person to teach us the truth than the one true living God who is unchanging? In James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. That means do not fall for the lies. But stand upon the truth. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Of his own will, he brought us forth by what? By the word of truth. That we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And as I was studying and preparing for this message, I began to realize how many times those two words, true and truth, pop up in Scripture. And how many times, at least for myself, I am prone to just skip right past it. In this passage, I had honestly never taken the time to really, really notice that the word truth is there. In verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. And we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And it's important that we recognize how important truth is to God. How important it is to be true to the truth. So how do we learn the truth? We get to know truth by getting to know Jesus and getting to know the word of God. Very, very simply. In John chapter 14, just back a couple of chapters from 17, in John 14, verses 15 through 18, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. And this helper, notice who it is in verse 17, the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And so if we love Jesus, then we keep his commandments, which we know to be the truth. It's very, very simple. And then what, what happens next is that God's Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, then it says dwells with us and also will be in us. 
And this helper, the Holy Spirit, helps us to do several things, but two of them are to teach us all things and to remind us of all things that Jesus has spoken, to remind us of the truth. But Jesus is truth, and, and one of the ways that we can really, really, very, very quickly and simply through the Word of God see this is by studying Scripture. John chapter 1, verse 1, something we talk about many times, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you jump down to verse 14, and what does it say about the Word? It says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, and then notice, full of what? Full of grace and truth. Truth is so important, and Jesus is the only one who has ever been that perfect, complete complement, that perfect balance of grace and truth. In its perfect completeness, Jesus is grace and truth. And it's important that we recognize that. But it says that the word became flesh. The word was with God. The word was God. And the word became flesh. And this is Jesus, the only begotten of the Father. And he's full of grace and truth. But then you continue on in verse 15. And it says, John bore witness of him and cried out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received in grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So this gives us a very, very clear picture that Jesus is truth. And if we need it anymore, you get to John chapter 14, verse 6, and what does Jesus say to Nicodemus? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then you jump down to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, and this is without controversy. This is a mystery of the gospel, but it's without controversy. That means it is completely true. But Paul writes, and he says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, within the body of Christ, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of of the truth, the pillar and ground of the truth. Jesus Christ is truth. This family of believers, this body of Christ is founded upon the truth. And without controversy in verse 16, great is the mystery of godliness. And then he goes on to tell us what this mystery is, that God was manifested in the flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. And in a nutshell, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the truth. So Jesus Christ is the truth. The word of God is the truth. The, your word in its entirety is truth. So now that we know what truth is, this really gets to the important part for us this morning, is how should the truth affect our lives? Jesus spoke a little bit about this as you, you see the surrounding verses of John 17, 17, because if you go back a few verses to John 17, verse 14, Jesus again is praying to the Father and he says, I have given them your, world, your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. So obviously we know that we are not of this world. We are supposed to be different because our home is in heaven, because our Lord and Savior is Jesus Christ. And we talk a lot about sanctification and holiness. In other words, to be set apart for a special purpose. We talk about all of these things. But part of being sanctified, part of being set apart, part of being holy is to know the truth. But the other part is to live the truth. 
It's not enough to try to be sanctified just by knowing, having a head knowledge. But there has to be an experiential knowledge. There has to be something that takes it from just understanding mentally to now transforming and changing our hearts to changing the outward working of our lives. And it doesn't start from the outside in. It starts from the inside out. That we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And how does that happen? That happens by us getting to know the truth better. By spending more time with Jesus. By spending more time in the word of God. And the more that we know it, the more that we allow the Holy Spirit, who is the great helper, who is the spirit of truth, to teach us. To bring to our remembrance the things that we have already been taught. And then to help us to live the way that we ought to walk in the spirit. Obviously, there should be something that's different. Part of being sanctified is knowing the truth, but the other part is to live it. A few years ago, there was a sci-fi movie that came out about a man who had the last remaining copy of an important book after a nuclear apocalypse. And the movie is basically his mission, and his mission is to get this book to a distant part of the country while he's being chased down by all of these thugs who want to get this book and use it for their own evil desires. And eventually, towards the end of the movie, the book is stolen, but the man, it turns out, has actually memorized it completely, every single word from cover to cover, and that's when you find out that this book is actually the Bible. And he's able to dictate it word for word, cover to cover, to be transcribed and then to be reprinted. And finding out that this book that he's been protecting this whole movie is the Bible, is such a huge plot twist because this man who's on this mission to do this and who has memorized it has lived a life that doesn't reflect it at all. He doesn't reflect anything of all that he knows. And it's a movie, it's, but it's something that, that is a very, very clear picture for us to see that it's not enough just to have a head knowledge of these things. We studied the last time that I taught about the demons knowing and trembling at the power of God. They know and tremble at the power of God, but it's more of just a head knowledge. There's not a belief, there's not a trust, there's not a faith, there's not an intimate knowledge of the truth, there's not an intimate knowledge of Jesus. So there has to be something else. It has to be more than just a head knowledge, but it has to be something that is transforming us, that is changing our lives. We need to be a people who lives by the truth of the word of God, not just a people who talks about it on Sunday mornings. We have to be a people that lives by the truth of the word of God. And it would be impossible in our own strength, in our own wisdom, and God knows that, and so he gave us the means, the power, the ability, the privilege to be able to do this. Again, in John chapter 4, verses 16 through 17, I will pray the Father, he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, always, all the time, constantly, incessantly to be with us. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. We've already talked about this, that the spirit of truth the helper, the Holy Spirit, has come alongside to be with us, but also to live in us. And when you jump down to verse 25 of the same chapter, it says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will do what? He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So he will teach you all things. He will teach us all that we need to know about the truth. He will teach us everything that we need to know. And then not only that, but if you're like me, there are so many lessons that I learned that I had to relearn many, many times before I really, really got it. And so it says that he's not just going to teach us, but he's going to bring back to our remembrance the things that he has already taught us, the things that Jesus has spoken and then he gets to verse 27 and he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so this is one of the outward workings, one of the inward things that takes place as well. And inward, internally, it is peace. There is safety, there is security, there is comfort, there is peace in knowing the truth. 
knowing that it is unfailing, unchanging, that, that God is unfailing and unchanging, and that every word that he has spoken is true, completely in its entirety, that there is no variation, there's no shadow of turning in him, and so there is no variation or shadow of turning in anything that he has ever spoken. Every promise that he has ever given, everything that he has ever said is true. Everything that he has said is true, and there is tremendous comfort and peace in that knowledge. And so he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He gives us the gift of a relationship with him, a relationship with the Father, and a relationship with the Helper, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit. But he grants us this perfect peace. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9, something that we study often. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And I've shared this before, that it guards both the heart and the mind because that's what it takes when we talk about knowing the truth, about getting to know Jesus, about abiding in him, about having what I call that living, breathing relationship with Jesus Christ. That it's important that it has more than just a head knowledge, but that there's a heart discernment, that there's a heart relationship there. And so I think that it's very, very comforting to see that God is granting us this peace that passes all understanding to guard both the heart and the mind through Jesus Christ. But then he continues on, and again, it's amazing how often truth and true pop up in the Word of God. But it says in verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are what? Whatever things are true. The very first thing, he could have put these in any order, and yet God, in his divine intervention, had him write this to be the first one. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. And so he says to meditate upon these things, and the first thing to meditate upon are whatever things are true, and how can you meditate upon them? And to meditate is not to, to get into this weird zen-like state. That's something that the world has tried to take us out to. To meditate upon is to truly think upon, to allow the truth of what is being spoken to minister to our hearts and our minds to change our lives. That is what it means to meditate, to really, really see what it means and then how does it apply to my life. And so he says, whatever things are true, meditate on these things. To really, really spend time on these things. And when you put all of these things together, you see how everything works hand in hand because how can we really, really find out and know what things are true without the helper, without the spirit of truth, without the Holy Spirit? And yet the Holy Spirit has been given to us so that he can teach us all things and bring to our remembrance all things and then to help us to really, really meditate upon these things to apply them to our lives, to take it more than just a head knowledge. I would suggest to you even more than a heart knowledge, but to take it and make it into a verb, as he said, to sanctify them by your truth. It's a verb. It's an action that takes place with the truth. And what does all of this mean? What does all this bring us to? It brings us back to where we started in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36, to free us from our bondage to sin. To know the truth, to be reminded of the truth, but then to live out the truth. This is what truly allows us to live free. Then Jesus said to those Jews in verse 31 who believed in him. Again, they already understood him. If you abide in my word, if you stay with me, if you love me, if you are surrounded by the things that I have spoken to you, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then they get upset. And they say, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Because they didn't get it. 
But Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And we know that the entirety of God's word is truth, that every word that Jesus ever spoke was true, that every word contained in the word of God is true. So when he says that whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin, that is true. That is without controversy, without contradiction. There is no way around that. There's no loophole in it. It says, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So again, Jesus is speaking to those who believed the words that he was speaking. And they are the ones that responded in anger about their bondage because they didn't recognize the bondage that they are in. And so often, I think that we find ourselves in very similar precarious positions. That we're not even aware of how much bondage sometimes we are still in. Because we make wrong choices. And I, you know, I, I, I was extremely blessed this week. My five-year-old son became the, my second child to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And, and it was such a... a an amazing experience for me to be able to, to lead those two children, my seven-year-old daughter, my five-year-old son, into that knowledge, into that relationship. But being a pastor who really, really desires to know the Word of God and really, really desires to live it out and to adhere to it, there were so many questions that I quizzed them both through before we got to that place. And I had to ask them if they understood what it meant, and they had to tell me in their own words and then that wasn't enough because they still needed to count the cost of what it is to be a Christian. And so one of the things that, that I had to share and that I had to talk about with both of them, but this week with my son, is to understand that, that it doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy. It means that there are going to be difficult times. You know, that Jesus said, the world has hated me and they're going to hate you. That there are going to be people in your life that are going to dislike you and do things wrong to you for no other reason than because you love Jesus. That there are going to be people, sometimes even very, very close to you, that are going to hurt you and that the enemy is going to try to use to drive a wedge between you and the Lord. And that it is a constant battle. It is a constant battle between doing the things that God wants us to do and doing the things that we want to do to understand, and, and it was so beautiful because as, as I'm sharing this with my son, we're driving home from church, and, and my seven-year-old daughter is there, and it's just the three of us, and so then they start having a conversation on their own about how the heart is deceitfully wicked, and, and just being able to, to trust in the Lord and not trust in our own fleshly lusts and desires, and, and I was just blown away because these are things that I wish I could take credit for myself, but it has been a community of believers. It's been part of the, the ministry that takes place in the children's ministry. It's been a part of the ministry that has taken place in their school, as well as the family and the friends, but they, they're going through all of this, and they're talking about all of this, and to understand, to know that there's a constant battle. There's a constant struggle. And, and to make it very, very simple so that a five-year-old could understand, so that even my three-year-old daughter can understand the concept, it is simply making the right choice. Making the right choice. What would Jesus do? It was something that was so overplayed. There were bracelets, there were T-shirts, there were bumper stickers all over the place when I was growing up. But the truth of it is still there it still holds value what would Jesus do in this situation what choice would Jesus make because that's who I proclaim to be my Lord not just my Savior so that means that I want him to lead me and to guide me I want to be led by the spirit of truth into making the right choices into walking in the spirit and so this comes down to simply making good choices and not just better choices but to make the right choice. Because in every situation, there is a right choice and everything else is wrong. We have to clearly get that. We have to understand that, that there is one right choice in every situation and every other choice has different varying levels of wrong, but it was wrong. 
And that can be a convicting thing, but also it should be a challenging thing, an encouraging thing, something that would make us want to stand up and to draw closer to the Lord, to allow the spirit of truth to have more of an influence in our lives so that we would make more of the right choices. So that we would make more of the right choices to be relieved from the bondage of sin and death. And all of this comes back to to really understanding more about God. To understand more about God and at the same time to understand more about sin. Sin sometimes has a very clear and direct effect upon our lives. Very, very clear. Sometimes it's very, very obvious. We, we do something and in that moment we have the consequence of that sin. But there are other times that sin has a, an even worse effect on our lives because it's a slow erosion. Because it's something that started small and when it was left unchecked it just continued to grow and grow and grow until it was starting to crowd out the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives that it began to encroach upon our relationship with Jesus Christ and now we were spending too much time and giving too much energy, too much of ourselves to this thing that's pulling us away from God instead of being filled with more and more of who he is. The righteousness that God desires us to walk in, his righteousness, his rules, the, if you will, the, the boundaries that he has set They have been set not to harm us. They've been set to protect us. And they've been set to protect us in such a way, not that we would be safe from all harm, not safe from all attacks, but that we would be safe from the harm and the attacks and the damage of sin in our lives and the ripple effect that it can cause in the lives of those around us. And so these boundaries have been prepared for us to protect us. And if we understand that, and then going one step further, if we understand who it is that is setting these boundaries, it makes it so much easier to not feel that we are slaves to this book, slaves to this relationship in a sense of of being chafing at the bit and just wanting to get away. But when we understand who it is that has put these boundaries in place, There's safety, there's security in it, there's peace, and there's a fulfilled, joyful life. Because God's desire, I truly believe, is for us to be fulfilled, but to be fulfilled in the right things and the right one, and that is in Him. To be fulfilled in Him and to enjoy the life that He has given to us because we are living it for Him. In His perfect wisdom, God knows that sin can rob us of so much joy in our lives. Sin can cause so much harm, so much more than we recognize, so much more than we could have possibly imagined. And I I say that because if we really, really understood how much damage every single sin that we have ever committed and will continue to commit, that every single sin that has taken place in our lives has had a negative, damaging impact on not just us, but on other people. If we really, really understood that, I don't think that we would be able to really sin. I I mean, just from my own personal life and experiences, if I in that moment just really, really recognized how much this was going to cost, not just me, but those around me, those that I love, I don't know that I would have ever continued to do any sin. And yet I'm not perfect. I still fail. Because the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. It's this constant battle. Sin has a way of taking us so much further away from God than we ever wanted to go. And it costs us so much more than we ever thought going in. And many times it happens faster than we can even recognize. And yet God has given us the perfect solution. And that is to walk in the spirit. To exhibit the truth as we live the truth. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, it says, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. It is absolutely impossible to fulfill the lust of the flesh 
when we are in that moment walking in the Spirit. It's just not possible. The two do not go hand in hand. They are completely at odds with each other. Unfortunately for us, it doesn't take much time to slip out of walking in the Spirit and into fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And there are tons of places in the Word of God that you can look at, but I think one of the clearest and most simple is Jacob and Esau. Esau had been given this privilege, this, this responsibility, this opportunity to be the firstborn and to have this blessing that had really come from God through his father, but that was coming from God. And in, in exchange for fulfilling the lust of the flesh, for fulfilling something, that instant gratification, that, that I need this right now, this is what I, I need, what this body wants right now in this moment, I'll trade whatever else if you can just fulfill this one need that I have right now, this one desire that I have in my life. And I would suggest to you that so many times that is the case in our lives. And it's not just with, with overt sin, although that sometimes happens as well. There are times that we know better, that the Holy Spirit has already taught us better, that he is reminding us in that moment that we know better, that he is empowering us, he's helping us to make the right choice, to turn away, to run from it, and that we still choose to go down that path. But there were so many other times in our lives that it's not just about overt sin. Sometimes it's just about allowing something else to crowd out the time that we should have carved out to spend in our relationship with God. I stand before you ashamed in, in some ways and yet challenged more than anything. Because there are times, in, and this is going to be strange for many of you to hear from a pastor behind a pulpit, but there are days that I have not spent in the Word of God. There are days that I have not spent in the Word of God. It didn't mean that, that I was out doing everything to get away from God. I, there are many of those days were the days that, that I was spending time listening to a Bible study or I, I was reading a devotional or I was singing worship songs or, or all of these other things. And, and there was still something that took place in that relationship with Jesus. But that I go to bed that night knowing that I could have done so much more and made so many better choices in my relationship with Jesus and that one of them was that I could have spent some time and other days that I could have just spent more time studying the Word, allowing it to impact my life. And I, I would think that, that I'm not the only one that has those kind of struggles because it is a constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. And it's not always evil things, per se, that the flesh is, is drawing us towards. Sometimes it's the relationship with our spouse, the relationship with our children, the, the relationship with extended family or with friends, or the ministry that's taking place through us into the lives of those around us. But we have to be on guard. We have to know that as we've studied so much this morning, that all of this has to be founded upon the truth. And how do we know the truth unless we spend time in the Word of God? We have to daily, diligently spend time in the Word of God and to not just cursory read it, not just to, okay, well, I got my chapters in or I got my pages in, but to really take the time before, even if it's just for a couple of minutes, to spend time in prayer to ask that the Holy Spirit would teach us as we read through the Word. That He would teach us whatever it is that He desires to impart to us that day, that moment. And then when we finish our time studying the Word, that we would be faithful to take a few minutes at the end to thank God for His Word, to thank God for the truth of His Word, to thank God for who He is, and then to ask that the Spirit would bring to our remembrance the things that we have been taught, and that he would empower us and enable us to make application to our lives, to change our lives through the time that we've spent in his truth. 
And so there's this constant battle raging that's desiring to pull us away from spending time in the truth, from spending time with the truth who is Jesus Christ. And it's a battle that will never be finished until God calls us home to be in heaven. It is a battle that will never come to an end until that day. But the good news is that God has given us a battle plan. And we know that he is perfect, that in him there is no shadow, there is no variation, there, that there's no change. We know that he is all-knowing and all-powerful. And so when he puts together a battle plan, when he puts together a course of action and he says, look, here, this is what I have, this is what I want you to do, we have to know and trust that this is the best plan. And so he's given it to us. He says, if you are led by the Spirit, in Galatians 5.18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then when you jump down to verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And it is exhibited by all of these things, by joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ have done something. Those who are Christ have done something, and that is to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So we live in the Spirit, we walk in the Spirit, we are empowered by the Spirit, who is also the same one who has taught us all the things that we need to know and is bringing to our remembrance all the things that we might have forgotten. And so he says, against such, there is no law that we have been brought out from under this bondage of the law and empowered and enabled to live within the boundaries that God has set because he loves us, not because he wants to harm us or wants to keep us from things. He just wants to keep us from the harm of sin. And so he has set up these boundaries for us because he loves us. And so to follow God's leading, to abide, to live within the boundaries of his word is not to be in bondage, it is to be free to enjoy this life to its fullest potential because of a few things. The first one is because God knows what he's doing. I would hope that all of us this morning believe that with our whole heart, that God knows what he's doing. If he doesn't know what he's doing, then nothing else matters that we've studied here. Nothing else matters that we've proclaimed to believe in. So we have to trust that. We need to know that, that God knows what he's doing. The second thing is that God knows far better than we ever do, what will truly fulfill us. God knows better than we do what will truly fulfill us. If we are left to our own devices, to our own desires, we want things, we crave things that we know are not good for us. We know that there are things in our lives that are not good for us, and yet sometimes we just, we crave them. And it's different things for different people, some of us have the same cravings or the same fleshly lusts, the same desires, and some of us don't share all of the same ones. But we all have those things. There are all still parts of our flesh that want to be served, and we know that those are in direct opposition to the things that God wants in us. So we need to trust that God knows what will truly fulfill us. The third thing is that God knows more than any of us how much pain and suffering sin is going to cause and the awful ripple effects from that sin. So all the things that God is saying, look, I want you to do these things and everything that's outside of this, I don't want you to touch it. And there is a reason for it. There are multiple reasons for that. But one of them is that God knows how much damage all those other things are going to cause in my life, in your life, and in the lives of everybody that we touch. And so we have to recognize that. We need to know that. We need to understand that there is pain and suffering, that there are consequences, not just for ourselves, but for other people when we sin, when we go outside of the boundaries of the truth of the Word of God. And the last thing is to trust, to be reminded, to be encouraged, to find rest in the fact that every good and perfect gift comes from God in the first place. We already studied this in James chapter 1, that every good and perfect gift comes from God. And so you go through those four things. First, God knows what he's doing. Second, God knows more than I do exactly what is going to fulfill my life. He knows what's going to really, really be the best for me more than I do. 
The third thing is that he knows that, that if I stray outside of his word, outside of the things that God is leading me to do, that there are going to be damages, there are going to be consequences, and he already knows what those are going to be even when I don't. And the last thing is to know that everything that's good and perfect, every good and perfect gift comes from God. So he's the one that's giving it to us. So when he says, hey, look, I want you to stay inside these things, it's for a good purpose. It's for a good reason. And that changes the way that we look at it. That changes the perspective because now it's not being bummed about what we can't do, about what we don't get to do, but we should be challenged and encouraged and joyful at all that God desires to give to us. And we're not just talking about physical things. We're not just talking about health and wealth and prosperity. We're talking about being fulfilled in this relationship with Jesus Christ. About being able to be used in the lives of others in a positive way, not in a negative way. Used in such a way that their lives would be more fulfilled. That they would be touched by Jesus, by the spirit of truth being lived out and impacted by our lives. And there is such great fulfillment in that. We talk about serving in ministry in whatever capacity. We talk about VBS and, and one of the things that, that tends to come out when we talk about encouraging people to, to step up and to be used and, and to be a part of ministry is that Yes, we want you to use the gifts and the talents, the abilities, the availability that, that sometimes God has given to you. But it's not just so that you can touch others. It is so fulfilling for you personally. In the last couple of weeks, I've had more opportunities than regular to really be able to get into one-on-one -on -one ministry. And, and as I made a transition into doing mostly worship ministry and out of, out of that into to really splitting my time between worship, worship ministry and administration, that was one of the things that I really, really missed so much is the personal interaction, the one-on-one -on -one ministry. You know, to be able to really just talk in a small group and to be able to share and, and to, to encourage each other, not just to encourage them, but, but also to be encouraged as I'm spending time with them. To be able to counsel, not because I know all of these amazing things, but because God knows everything. And because God is giving that wisdom for us to share. And many times as God is giving you wisdom, as he's giving me wisdom to talk to somebody else, it's not just for them. Many times it's also a great reminder for us as well. And so we are receiving a blessing as we're spending time in this. And it has been such a beautiful blessing for me to be able to, to get back to doing some more of that, that one-on-one -on -one ministry. And I, I promise you that if you step out and you want to be used and God is calling you, we know that God has gifted you. We, again, we believe that everything in the word is true. The entirety of your word is true. And so when God says that he has gifted different members of the body uniquely, specially, individually, to be used so that the whole body being knit together, being joined together, would function as a body, would function well, that means that every single one of us has been gifted. That every single one of us can be used for the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ in one way or another. And when we are doing it, I promise you, you are fulfilled. You are fulfilled. There is great joy and fulfillment when you step out and you are used by God to impact somebody else's life. And so this is the God we serve, the God who knows what he's doing, who knows exactly what we need, who knows the consequences of us going against his word, and who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And this is the God who says, meditate on whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are of good report, to meditate upon his word. And that the spirit of truth would teach us. And then when we walk in the spirit, that the fruit of the spirit is this love. This love that the world can, can't experience outside of Jesus. This agape love. And then it's exhibited in these things, which, which I would think all of us would want. The, the first one on the list is joy. I mean, who in here really doesn't want joy in their lives? The second one, peace. There are so many things that go on in this world and in our own lives individually that we just want peace. 
We want safety. We want security. And there is peace. One of the fruits, one of the outward workings of this love is peace. Long-suffering. To be able to bear with one another. To bear with sometimes our spouses or our children, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ, whoever it might be. There are trying times. There are things that happen in our relationships. But to be able to be long-suffering, to have kindness, to show kindness, even when it is not met with kindness in return, to show kindness in the face of adversity, to be faithful, to be faithful to the truth, to be faithful to this relationship with God, with his son, Jesus Christ, to be gentle, to be gentle. But the last one, I think, especially as it relates to what we're talking about this morning, self-control. Quite simply, there is no way that we can ever say, I just didn't, I don't know what happened. I didn't have a choice. You know, it was there and, and I couldn't help myself. That's not true because one of the fruits of the spirit of love, one of the outworkings of this is self-control. That means that we have been given everything necessary to bring all of this under control. So that brings us back to understanding choices. Something that even a three-year-old can understand to make good choices. That's something that, that I pray with my kids every night, that I pray with my kids every morning. God, that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to make good choices to make good choices, that you would go before us, that you would lead us, and that we would make good choices. Because that's what this life comes down to, is making good choices, making the right choice. To stand upon the truth, to know the truth intimately, to live the truth, to be reminded when we stray from the truth, to be reminded of it, and then to run back to the truth. Repentance, the, the true picture of repentance, to turn away from a sin, is not just to turn your back on it, but it's to turn your back on it and to run in the opposite direction. And the opposite direction of sin is always where Jesus is. So the most beautiful picture of that, to turn away from your sin and to run back to Jesus. And the picture that we've been given is the, the prodigal son that he finally recognized the error of his ways and he didn't just turn his back and say, well, this is awful and I'm just going to stay here, but it's awful. But to turn and to go back, to go back to his father and to know that God desires for us to have that fullness in our relationship with him, that we would be able to be empowered to walk in the spirit, the spirit of truth, to know all things all the things that God desires to teach us, it's all for us. It's all there for us. We just have to spend the time. We just have to have the desire. We have to want it. And if we want it, if we want to allow him, the spirit of truth will teach us all things, bring to our remembrance all things, help us to walk in the spirit. And as we close here, it brings us to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. We've already read it, but I think that this really, really closes it out great. He says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. He's writing these things. The entirety of the word of God is truth, and it has been given to us so that we would know how we ought to conduct ourselves, not just in the house of God, but especially in the house of God. That we should know how to conduct ourselves which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifested in the flesh. He lived this life completely perfect without sin, under self-control, that he lived out, he exhibited what it looks like to walk in the spirit, was manifested in the flesh, was justified in the spirit, and as we read, was sanctified by the word of God seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. And these are the things that we hold to be true. These are the things that we stand upon. And these are the things that help us to understand how we ought to conduct ourselves both inside and outside of the body of Christ. Amen.